One more time, uh, and we're going to jump into our Taking Our Stand series. But as we do that, let's pray and let's ask the Lord to bless our ministry this morning and bless our children and bless our, and, and just say, God, open my heart to hear what you have to say today. Lord, we come to you and we thank you that your word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. We pray, Lord, that you would show yourself mighty in our midst and speak to us, speak to our children as they come together uh, and allow the word of God to make a difference in their life. In Jesus' name, everybody said... Amen. The first of this month, we began this series called Taking Our Stand, and it, we jumped upon the theme of liberty because July 4th was a Wednesday night. In fact, we had uh, our Liberty Prayer Breakfast on July 4th in the morning. It was awesome. And then that first Sunday of, of July, which is the first, uh, we began this series called Taking Our Stand, positioning ourselves in a place of stability and 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 established uh, position in life spiritually in order to maintain the liberty of God in our life. You see, the Galatian church uh, was struggling with standing fast. And so Paul the apostle wrote the letter to the Galatian church. In fact, he, he kind of chastised them a little bit in a few places. You know, uh, in fact, Galatians 3.1, he used the word foolish to them. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Uh, and so they had gotten off track from the message of faith, from the gospel of Jesus, from the power of the Holy Spirit, and had slipped back into the legalism, into the flesh. And so as he's concluding this important letter of correction to them, he writes in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, and he says this. He says, stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free and be not entangled again in the yoke of bondage. Now, how many of you think you've got that memorized by now after five Sundays? I would hope you do, a uh, few of you. Uh, in fact, uh, let's, just, let's just commit this to memory today. Galatians 5.1 says, Stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ has made you free, made us free, and be not entangled again in the yoke of bondage. Now, I've been sharing with you for the past four, now fifth Sunday, uh, three important things from this verse that we need to embrace overall uh, understanding of this passage of Scripture. Number one, Christ has made us free. Somebody say amen. Thank God for the liberty we have in Christ. In fact, Jesus said in John 8, and if the Son sets you free, you're what? You're free indeed. And so thank God for the liberty we have in Christ. But the second thing we learned from this is that it must be possible, evidently it was, with the Galatian church to slip back into bondage. You see, if you're not proactive in your faith, you will be, you will be reactive and, and, and slip and, and fall and stumble and find yourself entangled again in the yoke of bondage. So yes, Christ has set us free, but if we don't take our position rightly and, and, and firmly in Christ, we'll lose our liberties, if you will. Uh, and then, of course, number three, uh, the third part is, therefore, we must stand fast. Everyone say, stand fast. You've got to stand fast. That word stand fast means to be stationary, unmoved, firmly established. That ought to define our faith today. That ought to define who we are in Christ. I'm standing fast. I'm steadfast in the things of God. And so with that in mind, I've shared with you uh, up to this point four important areas where we need to take our stand and stand fast in. The first Sunday, we talked about standing fast in the Spirit, walking in the Spirit. In fact, Galatians 
uh, Galatians chapter 5, Paul goes on and tells them, if you'll just walk in the Spirit, you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Everyone say, stand fast in the Spirit. The Spirit of God has come to give us help and to help us take our position and be firmly established in Christ. And the second area we talked about is standing fast in the Word of God. That's what Jesus was talking about in John chapter 8. He said, if you continue in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth will do what? You see, it's the truth you know that sets you free. It's not the truth that sets you free. I heard Oprah one day, uh, you know, in one of her more, uh, you know, uh, moments of uh, whatever kind of religious experience she's had, she said, well, you know, the truth will set you free. And I wanted to scream through the tube, no, no, it doesn't. The truth doesn't set you free. It's the truth you know. If the truth just set you free, you could just set the Bible on your head and and all of a sudden you'd find freedom because the truth would be there. But that's not the case. It's the truth you know that sets you free. So we steadfast in the spirit. We stand fast in the word. And then we talked about standing fast at the place of prayer. How many of you know we're not to worry about anything but pray about everything? And we pray and we seek God. And we, oh, we looked at a lot of passages of Scripture. In fact, if you would like to catch up on any of these messages, you can go to iTunes and search out Church on the Rock North. You can go to our website, www.cotrnorth, and go to the sermons page, and you can get the audio there. One day maybe we'll have video up and running. We'll see. Uh, but, hey, uh, we can stand fast, and we must stand fast, or we'll be entangled again and the yoke of bondage. And then last Sunday, we talked about standing fast in the faith. The Bible says in Corinthians, we've got to be brave, be, be strong. We've got to stand fast in the faith. And as we talked about that, we dovetailed into this morning's message at the end. And that is, we must stand fast in the fight of faith. How many of you know it's a fight? How many of you know we're involved in spiritual battle and spiritual warfare? And we've got to realize that. We've got to embrace that and realize, hey, you know, some people, well, I'm not a fighter, I'm a lover. Well, if you're going to be a Christian, you're going to have to learn who your enemies are. Uh, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But Paul the Apostle understood that. And he said this to Timothy in the latter part of his days when he knew his, his race was about over. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, he said, I fought a good fight. I finished my race. I have kept the faith. I fought a good fight. Everyone say, I fought a good fight. Everyone say, I finished my race. I kept the faith. That's an important thing to understand that, that life is a battle and that there's, there's influences in the world that are trying to undermine our faith. And Paul said, I fought a good fight. Now, everybody knows what a good fight is. Clay, you ever been in a good fight? You never been? <laughs> it's one you win. How many of you know that's a good fight? You might be bloodied and battered, but if you're, if you're the victor, hey, that was a pretty good fight, amen? Uh, you know, I, you ever watch box? I'm not much of a pugilist, nor do I enjoy pugilism, uh, but uh, if you ever watch these fights, you know, the guy at the end, he all, you know, Rocky, uh, have all that stuff. They're bloodied, battered, and scarred, but hey, they got the trophy, so therefore that was a good fight. Uh, I've never been involved in a f many actual fist fights, and I've never been the victor of any fist fights, and I could never say about any of them, oh, that was a good fight. How about you? 
So Paul said, I fought a good fight. In other words, it's a spiritual battle out there. And then we see Peter in 1 Peter chapter 5, uh, verse 7. He says, oh, he says a lot of great things. Let me just turn there. He said this, uh, jump in verse 5, the last part. He said, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Verse 6, therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. And then he says this, be sober. Everyone say be sober. Be vigilant. Be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Then he says resist him steadfast in the faith. Knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. So, so Peter lets us know, hey, the devil is prowling about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. That's his desire. That's his design. That's the purpose of God for his, for his life. Uh, in fact, the Bible says in John 10, the thief comes but for to steal, kill, and destroy. And so we find from, from Paul and from Peter... The encouragement to take our stand in the faith and stance and realize, hey, there's a battle going on. And then we see Jude and, oh, hey, you want to, this is really important to see this. Turn all the way over to the last, second to the last book, Jude chapter one. Uh, it's one chapter, but look why he wrote this letter. Uh, he, he realized, in fact, J- Jude was the brother of James uh, and he writes this letter and he says this, uh, very important, Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, how many of you are called, say amen, the sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ, mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Verse 3 now, beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly, everyone say contend earnestly, contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turned the grace of our God into lewdness and denied the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. And so he's saying, and then he goes on to talk about the negative influences that are trying to undermine our faith. And he said, contend earnestly. My friend, that's a powerful two words there. You know, I think of mediocrity when I think of, of not contending earnestly. And how many of you know if we're mediocre in the battle, that'll always precede our ultimate defeat. If we, if we look at life from a mediocre perspective, if, if we look at the reality that we're in the middle of a battle, uh, kind of, oh, hum, the tune is dumb, the words don't mean a thing, isn't this a silly song that I'm about to sing? Hey, if we have, if we have that attitude and we are not contending earnestly for the faith, we are ultimately going to be defeated and we could put ourselves in the same shoes in the same place as the Galatians did and we could turn to Galatians chapter 3 and say, Oh foolish Sam, who has bewitched you? And that's the way we'll be if we don't stand fast in the fight. Now, today's takeaway, this is what you and I need to understand and realize. This is kind of the overarching uh, uh, revelation that you need to embrace today. And here it is. This is an, there is an ongoing satanic effort to undermine the faith of God in every believer's life. Stop right there. There's a semicolon or, or a colon, semicolon. There's an ongoing satanic effort to undermine the faith of God in every believer's life. 
There is an ongoing satanic effort to undermine the faith of God in every believer's life. Right now, as we sit here in the comfort of this sanctuary, the devil is planning and scheming and, and working behind the scenes to undermine your faith and undermine the faith of your family and undermine the faith of, of your friends, undermine the faith of your children. That's what he does. He wants to get you to a place where your faith is ineffective. And because of that, the therefore is therefore. Therefore, there must be an ongoing faith-filled effort by every believer to stand fast in the faith. Because of this ongoing satanic effort, therefore, there must be an ongoing faith-filled effort by every believer to stand fast in the faith. We must learn to contend earnestly for the faith and not take our liberty for granted for granted and not take our victory for granted. I want to tell you today that just because you speak in tongues doesn't mean you have lost the bullseye on your forehead by the devil. Just because you're born again does not mean the devil has given up on you. In fact, all the more reason for him to put a target on your head. We need to turn the tables and put a target on his head. Amen. And began to fight a good fight. And if we fight the fight with the right equipment and the weapons that God has given us, we'll be victorious. And so embrace that today. It's an ongoing satanic effort. To, there is an ongoing satanic effort to undermine the faith of God in every believer's life. That includes you. Look at your neighbor and say, that includes you. And then you tell them, yeah, that includes you too. Therefore, we must have an ongoing faith-filled effort by every believer to stand fast in the faith. So this morning, I'm going, to, I'm going to give you two thoughts, two things to look at today. The first thing I'm going to kind of outline is some enemies of the faith. I'm going to give you six enemies of the faith. And then in a little bit, I'm going to give you some great weapons to be victorious, weapons of your warfare. Just quickly today, these enemies that we battle. Well, it's the devil. Well, he uses some different tools. And I'll kind of give you the angle he takes. There's nothing new under the sun. And the first one, that he, he, he this is one of his faves. If you want to know one of the, uh, the favorites of the devil, it is this. It's the demons of doubt. It's been around since creation. Adam and Eve, it was, the first, it was the first trap for them and they fell headlong into the middle of this doubt. Genesis chapter 3, the serpent comes along and he, and he begins to speak and he, he asked this question, hath God said you cannot eat from all the trees of the garden? <laughs> and they said, well, he said we can eat of everything but of that tree in the middle of the garden, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, we can't eat because in the day we'll eat of it, we'll surely die. And he said, ah, the reason he told you that because if you eat of it, you'll be, you'll be like God. <laughs> and they went, really? <laughs> I think I'll have one. But it all began with planting a seed of doubt in what God said to be true. It's demons of doubt. How many of you ever met up with a few of those in your time? I battle these things all the time. I have to take my stand against doubt all the time when I'm standing in faith for something. These little whispering demonic uh, things. Oh, that's not going to work for you. You're not this. You can't do that. Bah, bah, bah. Demons of doubt. And we have to take our stand against them. I love the testimony of Abraham. Abraham was the father of our faith. 
And the Bible says about him in Romans chapter 4, I love this. I wish that, and I pray that at the close of my life, this could be the testimony of my life on some level. Romans chapter 4, verse 20, it says to him, about him, about Abraham, he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief. You see, God gives promises. How many of you know a promise means it hadn't showed up yet? You see, most of us, when it shows up, we think, whoo, man, I have faith. It's before it shows up. Or when it never shows up and you still have faith. In fact, when you read uh, the faith chapter over in, in Hebrews uh, 11 and 12, you, you know, it says a lot of them never saw what they believed God, but they stood strong in faith. It says about Abraham, he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, what, but was strengthened in faith giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what he had promised, what God had promised, he was also able to perform. Everyone say fully convinced. You see, until you become fully convinced in who God is, just like we said, be still and know that he is God. Abraham believed God. And it goes on to say, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. He didn't waver at the promises of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. And he was fully convinced that what God had promised, he was able to perform. We ought to embrace that in our life today and, and be able to stand fast against the demons of doubt that whisper in our ear. And that's what Paul, Peter was talking about when he said, resist them steadfast in the faith. These demons of doubt come and whisper in our ear and undermine the faith of God in our life. We've got to battle them and be strengthened in faith. The second one is this that I want to share with you briefly this morning is not only the demons of doubt, but number two, we battle the fiery darts of fear. Oh, this is a biggie in a lot of people's life. In fact, the Bible says in Proverbs, the proverb writer, probably Solomon in Proverbs chapter three, verse 25, he said, do not be afraid of sudden fear. Think about that for a moment. Sudden fear. Do not be afraid of sudden fear. Anybody know what sudden fear is? You ever had, had some of that? Boom! I mean, did anybody get a little scared there, Pastor? You know, sudden fear. How many of you, oh, sudden fear comes upon you because of something happened in your life? Oh, oh, and the first thing is, to, oh, I got Oh, what am I going to do? I got to fear. Oh, God, oh, I'm fearful. And at that point, we say, no, I'm not going to be afraid of sudden fear. I'm not going to let fear control my life. It's a fiery dart. God didn't give me the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. That's what the Bible says. Somebody say, that's what the Bible says. If God didn't give us a spirit of fear, where did it come from? It came from the devil. Come on now. Trying to undermine your faith. In fact, fear is the opposite of faith. And so the demons of doubt and the fiery darts of fear come along. In fact, that's why Ephesians 6, the armor of God, will hit, and will hit some of the points there. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 16, when it comes to the armor of God, he said, Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the evil one. Amen. But the enemy of our faith, they come and they, they send demons of doubt. Half God said. And fear to try to overwhelm you at times when you're not prepared. All of a sudden, sudden fear comes upon your life to, to, to erode and, and to crash against the foundation of your faith and get you to doubt God's capacity to go to work in your behalf. 
Number three, another one that is a little more seductive. I'm going to call it this. The sirens of spiritual slumber and slothfulness. The sirens are the seductive voices of things that come to try to allure us away. And in this case, allure us to become spiritually lethargic. And to slumber. And to fall asleep. That's why Peter said this in 1 Peter chapter 5. He said this. He said, be vigilant. Be sober. Don't let something come and cause you to become spiritually lethargic. In fact, I love what Hebrews said. Hebrews chapter 6, I believe it is. Hebrews 6 verse 12. He said, do not become sluggish. (laughs) Has that spirit ever come upon anybody? Sluggish. I'm feeling a little sluggish. Well, there's a spiritual sluggishness. In fact, that word could also be translated as slothful. Do not become sluggish or slothful, but imitate those who through faith and endurance and patience inherit the promises. Could I tell you that there's influences in the world that their whole purpose is to get you to just get spiritually lazy? spiritually lethargic and fall asleep and while you have fallen asleep the enemy slips in unawares and steals kills and destroys your life you may be sitting here this morning in church listening to the preacher but on the inside the sirens of slothfulness and slumber or or, or singing that tune in your life to get you to kind of kick back and relax and just kind of put it in cruise control and enjoy the journey. Warning, my friend, the enemy is fast at work in your life. It's the demons of doubt, the fiery darts of fear, the sirens of spiritual slumber. And number four, catch this one. The Bible teaches the love of money. What did Paul say? To Timothy, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, he says, the love of money is the root of what? All sorts of evil. Now, money's not the root of evil, is it? Money is not evil. I mean, if you think money's evil, bring it to me. I'll cast the devil out of it. Whatever you want me to do, then I'll put it in my pocket. Hallelujah. Money's not evil. Look at your neighbor and say, money's not evil. Money's a tool. God gives us tools to do things for the kingdom of God. But the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. I had a pastor friend of mine who was kind of a businessman slash pastor. Uh, He said this, and it ended up being his ultimate demise as a joke one day in a staff meeting of which I was a guest. He said, you know, I don't, in fact, I was testifying to the fact that I had had sold my business and given up my company to go into full-time ministry. And I quoted this verse. I said, you know, I had to come to the place where I realized The love of money is the root of all evil. I couldn't love money more than I loved the call of God on my life. And so I sold my business and gave it up. And back then it was a very lucrative business. I I don't, you know, I'm not a very good, wasn't a very good bookkeeper then. And, uh, but I was making a lot of money back then. And I just laid it down for the sake of the kingdom. And this guy said, well, yeah, the love of money. I don't love money. I just like it a whole lot. I found out later that he liked it too much and it caused him to have problems. Actually served a little jail time because of it. It says the love of money 
is the root of all sorts of evil. And look what he says right here. He says this, because of it, many have strayed from the faith. Wow. The love of money will undermine the faith of God in your life, verse 10, because of which, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness, catch this, and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But you, O man of God, I like this part, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Now, let me tell you something as your pastor. I want all of you to make a million dollars this year. I want you to make a gazillion million dollars. But you can't love it. Amen? Because he gives seed to who? The sower. And so if we, if we get all mixed up, let me tell you something. Like I had, a, I had a, uh, I heard this story once when it, this guy came to his, to his pastor. It's a true story. I think I heard it from John Maxwell years ago. This guy who was in desperate problems and desperate financial straits. He came to his pastor and said, oh, pastor, pray for me. My finance is going down the tube. I'm about to lose my business. I'm about to lose my house. I'm about to lose it all. And, uh, you know, a little counselor said, well, have you been tithing? And he said, uh, well, I can't afford to. He said, well, okay, now here's where we got to get some understanding here. you got to begin to tithe. You can't break the laws of God, expect God to bless you. And so he said, okay, tithe, tell me about tithe. This is 10% of all your income. So he began to tithe. And just a few short months, things began to turn around. And his tithe began to double. And his tithe began to triple. And his tithe began to quadruple and his business just began to explode. And his business manager came to him and this man and he said, listen, you're, you're messing up. You're giving too much away. We need more capital. You can't tithe. All, you can't give all this money you're giving away. And, and, and so, uh, you know, you're going to have to do something. So the man came back to Pastor John. He said, Pastor John, my business, I'm in trouble. He said, he said, uh, uh, he said, I'm giving too much money away and that I'm, un- I'm undermining the stability of our company by giving 10, 12, 15% away. And he said, I- I'm going to have to cut back. And, uh, and Pastor John said, that's fine. Come here, let me pray for you. The same God who blessed you, he can take it away from you. Come here, let's pray together, Lord. This, I ask you to remove all this temptation of all this. Mo-. He stopped him. He said, Stop, preacher, I get the message. Don't pray that prayer. <laughs> Amen. It's just a tool. But the love of money will cause people to stray from the faith. Now, hey, don't let this bother you. Just don't love it. Love Jesus and thank Him for it. He gives us all good things to enjoy. But if you love money more than you love uh, really about any person or God or anything, you're going to get messed up and you're going to, get, you're going to stray from the faith. And it will ultimately pierce you through with many sorrows. I promise you, because the Bible says that. So fight the good fight of faith. So the love of money. Let me give you two more. The ne- next one that we battle against the enemies of our faith is the spirits of compromise. Oh, man, compromise is a biggie. 
Now, I think of Nehemiah, number one, and we won't go there. I think of Nehemiah when he, when he was rebuilding the wall and his enemies, Sanballat and Tobias, who were jealous, uh, they rallied other people together and tried to undermine the rebuilding of the wall. And one of the real things that they used after some of the scare tactics didn't work was, the, was a compromise. They just said, hey, Nehemiah, come down from the wall. We want to talk about this. We want to kind of negotiate some things here. Let's just talk about it. Let's, let's come to some kind of agreement together uh, and let's meet in the Valley of Ono and have a little discussion together. And, and Nehemiah said, I can't come down from this wall and, and talk to you. I've got a great work to go to, uh, that I'm doing. I can't be compromising the purpose of God for my life. And I always say it. Someone invites you to the Valley of Ono, you just say, oh no, I no go. I can't give up the work of God to sit around and compromise God's plan for my life. I want to show you one verse here that's very important about this spirit of compromise. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 2. I love this verse. He talks about being a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Verse 3, he says, therefore, you must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus no one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him or please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. He says, no one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life. That word affairs means negotiations. In other words, a real soldier doesn't sit around and negotiate and barter and ultimately compromise the purpose of God for his life. You cannot negotiate with the devil. You cannot negotiate with the world. Somebody say at least one amen. You can't let the spirit of compromise come upon you in your faith. You've got to st take your stand and position yourself in the faith and say, I'm not compromising. I'm not going to fall for the valley of oh no. We're not going to sit around and negotiate this thing. There's some established non-negotiables in my life and I shall not be, I shall not be moved in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. It's the spirits of compromise. And finally, the spirits of outright deception. These spirits of deception, number six, they come to deceive us. In fact, Peter said this, pardon me, Paul said this to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4. He said, the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith. Why do they do that? Giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Now, that's how it, well, I'm never, not, I will not listen to the teachings and the doctrines of demons. I, how do people ever get there? By the spirit of deception. Comes and begins to deceive us. Has anybody ever been deceived? Has anybody on planet earth ever deceived you? They, they presented themselves as one way and all of a sudden you realize, ah, you deceived me, you rascal. The devil is the, is the master of deception. And he can deceive us. That's why it's so important to go all the way back to the first one and stay steadfast in the spirit because the spirit will give us a spirit of discernment about people and places and things and spirits that come to deceive us. 
I've seen people who trusted God and believed God and, and, and stood upon God's word in their life, in certain areas of their life. Over the course of time, they listened to the spirits of deception and it moved them to a place of actual demonic activity in their life. These things are enemies of the faith. The demons of doubt, the fiery darts of fear, the sirens of slumber trying to lull us to spiritual lethargy. Somebody look at your neighbor and say, wake up this morning. Come on. Tell somebody. Give somebody, wake up. We got to wake up spiritually. And then the love of money, the spirits of compromise and the spirits of deception. And hey, we can keep going with this list. Could I tell you today, there's a battle going on. And every believer, there's a constant battle. For every believer, there's an ongoing satanic effort to undermine the faith of God's people in every believer's life. Therefore, every believer must be engaged in ongoing faith-filled efforts to battle the spirits of darkness and stand strong in the faith. Amen. Look at your neighbor and say, be strong. Look at your neighbor and say, be bold. We've got to take our stand today. Now the cool part. How many of you want to know the cool part? The exciting part is the fact that God has given us spiritual weapons to combat these spiritual enemies. In fact, 2 Corinthians, I want you to look at this verse. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Turn over there. I've gone too far already. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Let me show you this. I hear those pages turning. Come on. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Take a peek. Here we go. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war in the flesh. In other words, our, though we live a life in this world with biology of, our, our, of a natural life, the battle is not a fleshly battle. He says, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, they're not natural, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Everyone say mighty through God. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Let me give you, I'm going to give you seven. I'm going to give you seven weapons of our warfare this morning that we can wield against the powers of darkness that will empower us to stand strong in the faith and be victorious and be able to say with Paul the Apostle, I fought a good fight. I finished my race. I've kept the faith. Here they are, the first one, the first weapon of our warfare. Number one, as I've already said in this series, our Bible. Our Bible is a great weapon. Whew. In fact, the Bible says it's, as, it's like the sword of the Spirit. That's where Ephesians in the armor of God comes in. Ephesians six seventeen, he said, take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. You see, the Word of God is not a defensive weapon. It's a proactive, offensive weapon against the powers of darkness. We wield the Word of God against the powers of darkness, just like Jesus did in the wilderness experience. When you look at Jesus in one of the first things he accomplished on planet earth was putting the devil in his place the devil he was led by the spirit out into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil and every time the devil tempted him with fish and bread with authority or all these things he just quoted the word of God he said it is written man shall not live by bread alone it is written thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God somebody say it is written if you don't know what's written, you can't wield it against the devil. 
Our Bible. The sword of the Spirit. And my Bible says about itself, it's sharper, more sharp and more active and more powerful than any two-edged sword. It's the Word of God. Amen. It's a weapon of our warfare. Jesus used it proactively against the devil. He wielded it against the powers of darkness. And the Bible says that the devil left him for a more opportune season. And you know what? If you and I wield the, our Bible against the powers of darkness, you see people look at the Bible kind of a, from, oh, it's a hissing, oh, whatever. It's, it's a, it's, I don't understand the words, the these and the thous. They've already fixed that with many different translations. Come on, that one doesn't even work anymore. I mean, there's all kinds of parents. I don't know how to study the Bible. I don't need the Bible. Well, let the devil chew your leg off. Come on now. This is the word of God, the sword of the spirit. Amen. Hallelujah. Teach your children the Bible. Cause them to memorize the Bible. One of the things in VBS that one of our frustrations is we didn't, we didn't really focus upon the memory verses strong enough and the kids didn't really have the memory verses down. I went, uh, we'll learn better. We'll do better next time. They've got to get these Bible verses down. And when Pastor Sam's been saying, stand fast therefore in the liberty wherewith Christ has set you free and be not entangled again in the yoke of bondage. I've been saying it for five weeks now. And then when just a few moments ago, how many of you got this one memorized? Most of you looked at me like, It's easy. You just read it, read it, say it, say it. Remember it, remember it. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has set you free. And be not entangled again in the yoke of bondage. Galatians 5.1. Galatians 5.1 says, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has set me free. And I'm not going to be entangled again in the yoke of bondage. I'm remembering it. I'm memorizing it. I'm meditating on it. I'm wielding it against the powers of darkness. Devil, you can't have me. You can't get me back in the trap. I'm standing fast in the liberty wherewith Christ has set me free on Calvary's cross. He was hung up from my hangups. He set me free from sin, death, and hell. I'm on my way to heaven from Beaumont, Texas. Get off my back, devil, in Jesus' name. Okay, I'll leave you till a more opportune time. It works. Look at your neighbor and say, it works. It's the Bible, number two. It's not only our Bible that we wield against the powers of darkness, but number two, our beliefs. In other words, our faith. In fact, John said this in John chapter 5, verse 4. He said, this is the victory. Now, now I like it. This is definitive. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even Ryan's faith. No. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even Pastor Sam's faith. Well, in my, no, even our faith. It overcomes the world. Faith is a victorious powerful tool that God has given you. Well, it's not very big. You don't need very much. Uh, uh, faith is a grain of mustard seed. You can say to this mountain, be removed. If you don't doubt it in your heart, it must obey you. Our beliefs moves us, move us to a place of great victory in our life. And we can wield our faith against the powers of darkness because understand something. It is contrary to the demons and the devils and all the enemies. And when they see a man or woman of faith, it's like a shield that covers our life. And it quenches all the fiery darts of the evil one. Amen. Everyone say our Bible. Everyone say our beliefs. Number three, our bended knee. 
our bended knee. If you go back to 1 Peter chapter 5 when he said, uh, the devil prowls about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, resist him steadfast in the faith. The verses right above it says, you got to humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. You see, that's the posture we take. And if we stay humble before God, if we don't get cocky and arrogant or prideful in our life and we realize the battle is not ours but God's and he's the one in charge i'm gonna let go and relax i'm gonna be still and know he is god i'm gonna humble myself before the mighty hand of god and realize that that it's not about me but it's all about him and i'm gonna worship him and adore him and give him my life and submit myself to him i'm telling you that it says he exalts those who stay humble before him it's like a weapon Against the powers of darkness, our Bible, our beliefs, our bended knee. And number four, another great weapon, is our brothers and sisters in Christ. Oh, the Bible teaches the power of unity. In fact, Matthew 18, he said, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And then he jumps in and talks about two people coming together in agreement at the place of prayer. God answers that prayer. In other words, our brothers and sisters are hugely important that we link, when we link together, it produces a great, I'll say it again, a multiplicity of effectivity and the power of God and the authority of God is released in our life. And and, and in fact, the Bible says two can, one can chase a what? A thousand, but two can chase 10,000. That's why the church is so important. That's why small groups are so important. That's why Wednesday night when we kick back off in our small groups, it's so important, not just for the knowledge of the, of the content of what we are studying, but for the building up of one another and for the strengthening of one another and for, for the encouragement of God in one another where we can stand fast together against the powers of darkness and see God bring about a great victory in life. That's why church and consistent involvement in the family of God is so important because it builds a hedge of protection around your life that keeps the devil off your back. We might just have to seal all that a minute. Stop and think about it. Amen? Because one can chase a thousand, two, ten thousand. Our brothers. Everyone say our Bible. Everyone say our beliefs. Everyone say our bended knees. Our brothers and sisters in Christ. I got to stop here one more time. Our college and career emphasis first Tuesday, they've now started small groups. And I saw a picture. There had to be 25, 30. 35 college and career age young people taking, is it once a week? Twice a month. Time out of their lives to sit around and build relationships with one another and study the Word of God together. You know what's bigger than all the knowledge they learn? It's the connections they make that build them up and make them strong. Men and women of faith. Amen? In fact, the Bible says we ought to find men and women of faith and follow them. Amen? Weapons of our warfare, our Bible, our beliefs, our bended knee, our brothers and sisters and Number five, our blood covenant. I love Revelation chapter 12, 11. We're about done. I see it's 12 o'clock. I'll slip through this quickly. Revelation 12, 11 says, They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb 
by the word of their testimony, speaking of the devil. How many of you know the blood of Jesus not only washes us white as snow, but gives us power over the enemy? And then the number, number six, the, next, the sixth weapon of our warfare is not only our blood covenant, but our bold declaration because it says in that same verse in Revelation 12, 11, they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They spoke the word of God. They declared the word of God. It's not just the word of God, but it's the declared word of God. You see, Jesus declared the word over over the devil. He said, it is written. He declared it. He spoke it out of his mouth. I'm telling you, we got to believe it enough to say it. We talked about this last Sunday. I believe, therefore, I spoke a bold declaration of the will of God and the victory of God over your life. Job 22, 28 says this, and you shall declare a thing and it shall be established for you. It's time we stand up with our Bible, with our faith, and then get down on our bended knee and and rally together with our brothers and sisters under the banner of the love of God and boldly declare our victory in Christ Jesus against every demon devil in hell. Finally, number seven, our being. Being. What do you mean? Ephesians 6, 10. Paul the apostle was beginning his teaching on the armor of God. He said, finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord. Everyone say, be strong. He said, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. It's our state of being. I'm drawing my strength from God Almighty. And I'm going to be strong in Him. We've got great weapons to fight a great battle. To be victorious over death, hell, and the grave. Let's stand up together. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. Taking our stand we've got to take our stand in the fight of faith there's all kinds of enemies but we have the strength of God in our life we have the weapons of our warfare that are not carnal they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds You see, some of you today have strongholds built up in your life that are anti-God. Maybe a stronghold of doubt. Maybe a stronghold of fear. Maybe a stronghold of compromise and deception in your life. If you begin to wield the weapons of your warfare, realize, hey, the enemy has tried to undermine my faith. You begin to take your stand. You'll find those strongholds lose their grip in your mind and in your life. Let's bow our heads before God.